0: One of my most vivid memories from the Nuba Mountains is actually sitting with a group of pastors and them showing me a funeral that they'd had where a bomb had fallen in a marketplace and had killed five children from the same family. At the funeral, the mother and the father are there. There are five graves. The first pastor just breaks down, I mean, sobbing, tears splashing off of his Bible, and he can't go on, and he hands the Bible to the pastor next to him, and he gets about halfway through his delivery and then he just breaks down and he hands the Bible to the third pastor who's finally able to finish the funeral. And that's just kind of a vivid reminder to me of uh, just what a difficult place it is and the kind of persecution, the kind of fear that they've been living under. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
1: Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and thank you for taking this time to spend with us this week. This is going to be a little different half hour here on VOM Radio as we talk about the attacks last weekend in Sri Lanka and as we talk about recent developments in the nation of Sudan. If you're a longtime listener to VOM Radio, you know that this is not a news show. Every week we talk about the testimonies of persecuted Christians and those who are doing gospel work in restricted and hostile nations. Most of the time, these testimonies are timeless. And if you listened last week, you know that I said we'd be talking about Iran this week and hearing what God is doing in that nation And we will share those stories, but not until next week. We've decided to sort of break the mold this week because of some very significant things that have happened. First, we're going to talk about the Easter morning attacks on churches in Sri Lanka, which affected literally hundreds of people there. And then we're going to talk about Sudan, where the government of dictator Omar al-Bashir has been pushed out of power And we want to unpack for you a little bit these two situations and especially what it means for our brothers and sisters that live in these two countries and how you can pray for them during these times of significant upheaval in their nations. First, we're going to talk about Sri Lanka, where just in case you've been under a rock all week and haven't heard, multiple bombs went off last Sunday morning, Easter morning. Three different churches were affected, as well as international hotels, some of them offering special Easter brunches on that Easter morning. The attacks have been tied to an Islamist group in Sri Lanka, and ISIS is also now taking credit for this. We're going to talk about this with Jonathan Ekman. Jonathan is the vice president for international ministry here at Voice of the Martyrs. He is also formerly the regional director for South Asia, which includes Sri Lanka. Jonathan, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
2: It's great to be with you, Todd.
1: Were you surprised to see an attack of this magnitude in Sri Lanka?
2: I think everyone was surprised to see an attack of this magnitude. You know, they'd fought a 30-year civil war, but that ended 10 years ago and 10 years of relative peace uh, on the island. So I, I think, yeah, the idea of of suicide bombers attacking churches and hotels in Colombo shocked a lot of people.
1: And were you surprised that it was from an Islamist group? Uh, You know, typically when we have talked about persecution in Sri Lanka, we talk about Buddhist nationalists, we talk about Hindus, we don't talk very often about Muslims. Did that surprise you?
2: Uh, It did. In fact, as we were watching the story unfold, I was thinking it probably was a Hindu group, was very surprised to see that it was a, an Islamic group that would do that. Uh, we're seeing now that it was in retaliation for the attacks on the mosque in New Zealand. So it, it's just more evidence that our world is very intertwined uh, and we never know where the next attack is coming from.
1: This hit a little bit close to home for you, didn't it? I I know when you saw the names of the hotels that were hit, one of them you recognized.
2: Well, sure. I mean, there are uh, several hotels, and one of them was the Cinnamon Grand, and I was in Colombo last year, and... We had a couple of meals at the Cinnamon Grand at that restaurant that uh, was attacked by the bombers. So yeah, that that's always interesting. It's it's still amazing when you turn on the news, some huge attack, and you're like, oh, I've been there. I was. So it, it was it was uh, interesting to to hear that name come across.
1: Does that affect how you think about travel and how you think about uh, the thing? It made me think about is how we pray for our staff members that are out on the road because you never know. Right. You never know.
2: It didn't really cause me to, to change the way we think about our staff and where we travel. We, we try to be smart when we travel. But just like we said, this event happening in Sri Lanka, no one would have guessed that. So we never know, you know when something may happen. We do pray for our staff, and we would encourage, I would ask your listeners to pray for our international staff as they travel into uh, countries like this all over the world.
1: Let's finish up as we finish up every week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with how do we pray? This attack has just happened. The the latest numbers I've seen, 321 people killed, hundreds, hundreds injured. How do we pray for the nation of Sri Lanka and for the church in Sri Lanka right after these attacks have happened?
2: Well, I I had a feeling, having been on your show before, that you were going to ask me that. So I brought with me, some prayer requests that we've received from our partners in Sri Lanka. So let me just mention these, and, and I would ask your, your listeners to pray for these specific things. The first request we're hearing is pray for protection and peace for Sri Lanka. Uh, it is a very unsettled time uh, in Sri Lanka right now. They have a history of civil war, so that puts a lot of people on edge, and it wasn't that long ago, 10 years mm-hmm. ago. So pray for protection and peace for Sri Lanka. Pray for healing for the wounded so many people, more than 500 wounded. Pray for them. Pray for comfort for the families of those who were killed. Pray for Christians, and especially pastors, to seize this moment as an opportunity for the gospel to continue to go forward uh, in Sri Lanka. Because of this, everyone is thinking about spiritual issues and eternity at this moment. And then the one request was no more attacks. Pray that there would be no more attacks uh, in Colombo or on the the island of Sri Lanka. Uh, So those are things, specific things that your, your listeners could pray for that would be very helpful.
1: And I love the fact that that came from the field. That came from within the country saying, hey, this is what we need to pray for right now.
2: Yes, I just jotted these down from emails that we've been receiving.
1: I want to encourage our listeners. Will you commit this week to pray for the nation of Sri Lanka? So much is going on there. And as you've heard, there's some very specific ways that you can pray. The other thing I want to encourage you to do, if you're curious about what's it like to be a Christian there, we have had Reverend Godfrey Yogaraja, who is the head of the National Christian Evangelical Alliance of Sri Lanka, right here on VOM Radio. You can go to vomradio.net and listen to that conversation and hear what happens at the village level, what happens at the national level as far as when someone becomes a Christian what leads to persecution, what does that persecution look like, and again, we'll finish with how do you pray. Uh, He will have some specific requests to pray for Christians in Sri Lanka. Jonathan, it's always great to have you on VOM Radio, and I love the fact that we can come in the studio right after something like this has happened and really equip our listeners to pray for the nation of Sri Lanka. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. We're going to switch gears now and talk about the nation of Sudan, where the dictator Omar al-Bashir has been deposed after widespread protests that go back all the way to December. Since then, there have been two different men reportedly in charge of the government in Sudan with the military uh, installing a state of emergency, promising that there will be elections within two years, uh, a timeline that has not satisfied the protesters at all. Many of our longtime listeners will remember the story of Peter Yasek. He is a VOM staff member who was imprisoned in Sudan as well as Pastor Hassan Tower, who also was imprisoned with Peter. If you haven't heard their stories, you'll want to go to vomradio.net and listen to them. Uh, Amazing stories. I don't think I'll ever forget Pastor Hassan talking about laying on the floor in prison and crying tears of joy because the presence of God was so real to him in those moments. So go to vomradio.net and listen to those stories. One of the ironies that I noticed in the reporting about Omar al-Bashir is that he has reportedly been locked up in Cobra prison. That's the same prison where Peter and Pastor Hassan spent the final weeks of their imprisonment. So now the dictator whose government locked them up in Cobra prison is locked up in Cobra prison himself. To help us look behind the scenes on what has changed in Sudan and what it means to the Christians there is Sean Patton. Sean is the Africa Regional Director for the Voice of the Martyrs, overseeing all of our work on the continent of Africa. It's a job that you inherited, Sean, from Peter Yasek when he went to prison in Sudan. So welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
0: Thanks, Todd. It's good to be here.
1: Let's start with a bit of history, because Omar al-Bashir has been in charge for 30 years. Mm -hmm. What has that meant? What has persecution looked like under his regime for the last 30 years?
0: Well, I mean, for people who have been in the conflict areas, like the Nuba Mountains, where we've been very active, that's involved bombing campaigns that have been targeting schools and churches and hospitals. It's meant tens of thousands of people uh, fleeing the area into refugee camps, In the northern areas, it's meant churches being bulldozed, pastors who have been spied upon, who have been imprisoned, uh, much like our our brother Peter and and Pastor Hassan and and others. And so it's just a continual pressure by the government, surveillance where they're spied upon, their every move uh, is monitored, where the Secret Service has infiltrated churches. And so um, very, very difficult place to to live, to minister the gospel, to be a Christian. And that's just if you're a Christian. And you know, we know about Darfur and other places where uh, the government has committed atrocities and genocide towards people who are not of Afro-Arab descent, but people who are African, even if they're Muslim. And so, um, it's just been a very brutal regime for the last 30 years.
1: So, the million-dollar question is, you know, mm-hmm. Omar al-Bashir is now out of power. He's now locked in prison. What does this mean? <laughs> what does the new Sudan look like after 30 years of that kind of atrocities and oppression? Well,
0: the new Sudan is changing daily. And so, uh, you know, within 24 hours after Bashir uh, was locked up, the uh, the military leader who took over uh, Ibn Aouf uh, lasted 24 hours, and uh, and now we have another military leader in power. And so we, we don't know, right? We don't know what this is, is going to end up looking like. Uh, the protesters still want a civilian government. And as of now, the military is still in power. And so um, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, I think everybody is curious, is it going to get better? Or is it going to get worse? I think most of the people f- there feel like it can't get worse. And so um, after after 30 years of bashir they they at least have an opportunity to get something better
1: how optimistic are you that we'll end up with something dramatically better as opposed yeah. to just maybe incrementally better
0: yeah i don't know that i'm optimistic that you know that that's it's that there's going to be wild democracy you know in <laughs> sudan in some way you know one of the things that that led us to this point is that not only was Bashir a dictator, but things had gotten so bad economically as Mm -hmm. well as inflation was at 70%. And this all started with the bread riots that eventually led to uh, Bashir being ousted. And so I think, you know, there is an opportunity that maybe things are going to be better economically, that there may be uh, some freedoms that are gained. And certainly we're praying for that. I mean, we would love to see greater religious freedom. We even saw in the news just the other day of some lifting of Restrictions on the media and on censorship, replacing heads of and, and the intelligence service and the army and the police. And so uh, those could all be very positive things, but ultimately we don't know.
1: What is the percentage of Christians or, or how many Christians? Because I know we talk about an election. Boy, yeah. it, it would be great if they had an election. Yeah. But if Christians are only, what, 5, uh, six evangelical percent? Evangelical Christians,
0: maybe 15 percent percent you know so still a minority very, in very the very much country. minority 60% muslim
1: and certainly a minority in the electoral process right. if if and when it comes to that
0: right and we've seen in places like egypt some sometimes in a vacuum of power like this um you can get some radical islam that comes in and things actually get worse and so uh, certainly praying against that
1: how much has radical islam been a force behind bashir and his regime how much has he presented himself as, I'm doing this for Islam. Yeah, I'm it's, doing it's this. been
0: a, his agenda. I mean, the Islamization of Sudan and the Arabization of Sudan have, have been his two main agendas, which is why sometimes it, it doesn't make sense if you think of him persecuting even Darfurians who are Muslims, but they're black, they're right. not Arabs, and that's part of the Arabization. So it's
1: not just religion; it's also it's it's, it's
0: also ethnicity as well. Yes, and so that yeah, Sharia law and Islamization of the country has been at the forefront of what Bashir's been about. So, you know, just talking off the top of my head, the if the
1: people who are protesting and eventually will be voting associate the state of their country, which is complete. Chaos and disrepair, and the economy is broken mm-hmm. if they associate that with Islamism, hopefully they maybe vote a different direction, vote for more openness,
0: yeah, yeah and I and I think we've seen that I mean, in other countries where people realize that that the ideology is is part of what you know drives the economy and things like that and so yeah hopefully there would be a realization of that and and we're also hoping you know one of the things that's been very difficult for us as Bashir has had a blockade on all kinds of humanitarian aid into the country. And so we've talked about the displaced peoples and uh, the bombings that have occurred in the Nuba Mountains, but people have had great difficulty in aiding those people uh, because of the blockades and, and the policies he's had in place.
1: And even voice the martyrs as we have delivered aid to some of those places. that's completely illegal. It is uh, and <laughs> peter Peter ended up fourteen months in prison over over part of that. That's right. What are you hearing from the church in Sudan as far as what they anticipate or what they expect? Uh, or are they kind of laying low and and trying to stay out of sight? i
0: would I would call it a cautious optimism. I mean, certainly to see Bashir go down is, is something they've been praying for and something they're rejoicing over and thanking the Lord for and cautious about what the future means as well.
1: What types of things is VOM doing and do you, and again, we're talking very, very early in this process, but do you anticipate our work will shift or or change in any ways or probably more of the same?
0: I think uh, probably more of the same. In the conflict areas where you have a lot of displaced peoples where they don't have access to water and medical care and basic necessities, we'll continue to provide those things. I don't see the SPLA or some of the people who are in the conflict areas laying down arms anytime soon. Blockades against humanitarian assistance may be lifted. Those things may become easier, but the humanitarian crisis doesn't die overnight. And so that will continue. And then our supporting of evangelistic efforts uh, within Sudan will continue as well. And if there is greater religious freedom, if the country opens back up to let potentially missionaries and others from the West have more activity inside the country, that will make those things easier. If anything switches for us, I think it will switch more from responding to persecution and uh, the humanitarian crisis that's been created because of the persecution to putting more energy and efforts into uh, the advancement of the gospel within the within the nation of Sudan.
1: You've been in some of those camps. Mm-hmm. What is life like in those displaced person camps?
0: Um, it's it's difficult, you know. And a lot of these places that we've been into are not just the camps, but actually up into the the Nuba Mountains themselves, where people are living under rocks and literally taking cover from bombs that are dropped frequently. And, you know, you see the unexploded ordnance everywhere. You know, it's like bombs that look like lawn darts that are, you know, seven feet sticking out of the ground, children playing on tanks. And so it's just a, it's a surreal place. One of my most vivid memories from the Nuba Mountains is actually sitting with a group of pastors and them showing me a funeral that they'd had uh, just a few weeks prior where a bomb had fallen in a marketplace and had killed five children from the same family. It was, in fact, all of their children. And so at the funeral, the mother and the father are there. There are five graves laid out. They're burying all the children at one time. And the pastors there who are doing the funeral, the first pastor just breaks down. I mean, sobbing, tears, splashing off of his Bible. And he can't go on. And he hands the Bible uh, to the pastor next to him. And he gets about halfway through his delivery, and then he just breaks down and he hands the Bible to the third pastor who's finally able to finish the funeral. And that's just kind of a vivid reminder to me of uh, just what a difficult place it is and the kind of persecution, the kind of fear that they've been living under, and the fact that it's it's fallen on some of the least of these, you know, children who are at the marketplace or who've been bombed in their schools or people who've been in hospitals who have who've died. And so, Everybody in that area has been affected.
1: Is there any sense that the politics of the Nubas will change with the overthrow of Bashir, or is is that still in flux?
0: I think that would take a, a high-level political analyst to know <laughs> that, but uh, I would just say I doubt uh, th- there will have to be a long history of trust, I think, before that changes significantly, yeah.
1: As we finish up, how do we pray? Uh, How do we pray for Sudan? How are the the brothers and sisters there asking us to pray during this time? You uh,
0: mentioned Pastor Hassan at the beginning of the broadcast, and I was um, conversing with him this week. Let me give you three things that he asked us to pray for. One was for the church to be strengthened, for the church to be united, and and then he asked us to pray for uh, freedom of religion. And I think... Something else I would add to that is that the, that the church would remain focused. It's an exciting time. It's, it's a time where uh, the church could get caught up into the, the political fervor of the day. And uh, just praying that they would keep a, a laser sharp focus um, that ultimately they know and we know that um, our trust is not in Prince's. Um, that our our help does not come from man, that we look to the hills where our help comes from, and our help comes from the Lord, it comes from Jehovah God and and they know that, but that they would stay focused on that and on the task at hand, regardless if things get better or worse or are the same and so um, that 's my prayer for them, and that the Lord would really bring about an awakening. Sean, thank you for
1: sharing with us and updating us on what 's happening in Sudan.
0: yeah, thank you, Todd.
1: As we close out today, I wanted us to pray together for our brothers and sisters in Sudan, and I couldn't think of a better person to lead us in prayer than Peter Yasik, formerly a prisoner for Christ in Sudan. Peter's actually working on a book that's going to come out next year telling his story, and I've been blessed to see an early draft of the book. And I can tell you that a part of Peter's heart is still in Sudan and it's probably always going to be in Sudan as long as he lives. So I asked Peter if he would lead us in prayer for Sudan from his home in the Czech Republic. Let's bow our hearts and join with Peter to pray right now for our brothers and sisters in Sudan.
3: Dear Heavenly Father, we exalt your holy name over the country of Sudan. We are lifting up our brothers and sisters in Sudan before your throne. They don't need to worry about the fact that the military Islamists related to President Bashir have captured power in Sudan. They know that you are the Supreme Lord. You change times and seasons. You remove kings and set up kings. Lord, you have set them free from the power of sin. No one else can give this freedom to them and no regime can take that freedom from them. Lord, we ask that you will give courage to our brothers and sisters in Sudan to continue fulfilling your great commission, to preach the gospel there and to make disciples from all people, including the Muslim majority. We pray that you will give them the words in opening their mouths boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Lord, we especially pray for the Muslim background believers who are still in hiding, Please give them courage to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world in Sudan, the city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Guide them with your spirit to confess your name before men. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Peter, for leading us in prayer for the nation of Sudan and for our brothers and sisters there. I encourage our listeners, continue to pray for Sudan in the weeks to come. There is so much going on there. There are so many decisions still to be made. So keep praying and share this episode with Christian friends. Encourage them to pray as well. And if you want to hear Peter's amazing story of his arrest and the months in prison in Sudan, you can just go to vomradio.net and in the search bar enter the word Sudan. You can also hear Pastor Hassan, who we've had on VOM radio. Again, that website, vomradio.net. Next week, we really will share about how God Jehovah is moving inside the Islamic Republic of Iran. You won't want to miss the amazing stories of how God is at work there. So join us again next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.